Welcome to the Don't Stop Me Now podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Vaughn. My guest today is Denise Wozniak. Denise is a long-term survivor of HIV, and her story is unique in that it involves her daughter as well. There was a time when HIV was one of the deadliest viruses on the planet. Today, it's considered a chronic, manageable condition where life expectancies are the same, pregnancies carry little to no risk of transmission, and we can't transmit the virus to our sexual partners when we're undetectable. We've come so far, yet the scars of the past remain as millions never got the chance to see another day. I dedicate this episode to all of those who have lost their lives to this virus and to the families, friends, and partners who were robbed of their existence on this earth. Hi, Denise Wozniak. Hello, Jennifer Vaughn. How are you? I'm doing well. I forgot you had a British accent. Oh, (laughs) I did. I forgot too. (laughs) (laughs) And I forgot that I do know your voice because I I saw your TED talk. So I was like, well, I know. What do you mean? Oh, mm." that's I hate my TED talk. I wish I I wish I'd done it differently. But anyway. There you go. Oh my gosh. Well, that's how, yeah, that's how I found you originally, but yeah, we'll get into that. But, um, so where are you located again? I know you're in the same time zone as me, but you're. So I'm about, let's say an hour and a half out of Vancouver. Okay. Okay. How's your uh, weather up there right now? It is raining like crazy, pouring (laughs) down. It's absolutely crazy today. We have some flooding down below us, but we're quite high up here. So is that your typical weather for right now? Um, yeah, we it's usually transition. So we might be getting a bit of it's very like San Francisco actually. If I was to compare it to anywhere, I'd say San Francisco in California. It's it's kind of going from dry period to rainy and then then we'd be more like up in Arnold and around big bear area where where we'd be Mm. getting more snow because we're a bit higher up than the Fraser Valley. Fraser Valley has a Fraser River going through it and Mm -hmm. we're we're up above that so okay we get all the four seasons. Stop talking about the group. (laughs) (laughs) Of course yeah that's nice that's beautiful. How's your COVID situation up there right now? Uh, it's not as good as it was though about uh, let's see about a month ago, we had probably about 400 people in our state or province per day, and now we're getting 700. So it has gone up a lot. We and the it we know we're testing more, but there are a lot more people in ICU now. So intensive care. So if, if more people are going to intensive care, you know that the situation is as bad as it seems. My um my niece was just diagnosed or well she just tested oh. positive and she's in Arizona. It's really the first family member that's had it. So yeah, it just she just got oh. the uh, positive today. So my sister, she lives with my sister. She'll have to quarantine for two weeks now. And oh. uh, I'm of course in California and we're in a red zone here now. And yeah. everything's changing again. We're all supposed to be you know wearing masks outside. If you even pass by somebody within six feet, you need to have a mask on. So that changed. And if you come into California, you have to quarantine for 14 days. That's a brand new mandate. Oh, is that right? That's interesting. 
Yeah, oh. they don't want anybody, you know, meeting for Thanksgiving. Everybody stay home. They right. really don't want anybody traveling around and, and seeing family. So we'll be staying put this Thanksgiving. So yeah, we had our Thanksgiving in October. So in Canada, Thanksgiving is in October, and they had the same caution there. So right. they were telling everybody to not get into too big groups. I right now they have a policy that if you if you are in your home, well, people who are in their home can have, say, six guests over maximum. Mm -hmm. And that's it. But I think that'll be changing soon. They've just put out an announcement today that they don't want people doing any unnecessary travel right. outside of our province. Yeah, that's basically the same here. Exactly. And I don't know how long that'll last for. So. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to do this and be a guest on my podcast. And I have to say that it's it's not too often that I get to say someone's full name when they're HIV positive, <laughs> but I do with you because you are public with your status. And I know you have been for quite some time and you are on the very honorable list of being a long-term survivor with HIV. And your story, Denise, just is super important. It's it's a heavy one for sure. And, you know, I don't remember who directed me to you. I just remember someone said, you need to see, I think someone said, you need to see this TED Talk. And I watched that and then I got into contact with you. And then from there, I, of course, I had to confirm if you, Steve was related to you in any way. And no, he's not. But that's oh. how I... <laughs> That's how I remember um, learning about your story. So you are welcome to start it from however you want. And um, I'm, you know, I'm really looking forward to everyone hearing this because it is a really, it's a part of HIV that is, you know, from a long-term survivor's standpoint, you've had a really rough journey. And I think it's really important for people to know how it is for specific people that were diagnosed back in 90, what was the year that you were diagnosed? 94. But you yeah. believe you contracted it in 89? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so what happened was in in 1989, I was just out of a seven-year relationship. Oh, well, seven-year marriage. And interestingly enough, the first person that I ever had sex with was the person I ended up marrying. So I didn't have sex with anybody else before I got married. And that was pretty unusual, believe me. And back in England, it was, I, I felt like I was kind of odd for doing that. But anyway, the first guy I married was the first guy I had sex with. And then we were married for seven years. And I finally found out he was cheating on me. And my parents had had a very rough marriage from my dad cheating on my mom. And she had found out about numerous affairs. And I decided I wasn't going to put up with that in my marriage. And so I I left him. And mm -hmm. for a year, I was single. And then after that, I met somebody else who became the love of my life. And mm -hmm. we went on four years later, well, three years later, had a baby girl. And so by that time, I'd, you know, in the year that I was single, I had a couple of relationships lasting about three months. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I've been married already. And at that time, it was very much all about not getting pregnant. So I was on the pill. And 
I didn't really know anything about sex. I was incredibly naive. I can't believe how naive I was. My brother said, you're kind of like a nun compared to me. And I thought that was hilarious. But I really didn't know much about it. So I used to listen to sex shows talking, you know, where they tell you what you should be doing. And they said, Mm -hmm. well, you know, to make sure you don't get anything, ask a man if he has ever had an illness or a disease. So I I think I was one of the few people out there who was going around saying, have you had an illness? (laughs) And, (laughs) And they were pretty shocked. And they'd say, no, have you? And I'd say, no. And then I'd say, well, do you want to wear a condom? And they'd say to me, well, no, are you on the pill? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, don't worry about it then. And that's in the day that was what was important, whether you got pregnant or not. So yeah. during that year, I started to hear about HIV. And I remember that there was a guy who was in our office and I was in human resources and I And he came to me and he said, he told me he had HIV. And I was petrified. I thought, wow, I should, I should let people know. I mean, he could be drinking from the same glass as them. He could be going to the bathroom at same toilet as them. What's going to happen? I was really scared. Mm -hmm. And little did I know by that time, I actually had HIV myself. No idea that I had it. Wow. And then, of course, I met my husband to be, and four years later, we had our little girl named Katie. And she, of course, everybody thinks their daughter was the best ever, mm-hmm. but of course, I thought she was beautiful. And she was actually five weeks early. I had a C section because I had high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. And we were just as happy as we could be. We just bought, well, we just built a house it was like a 3,000 square foot house it was a huge home Mm. I just got a new job and we had Katie it was fantastic life could not have been better I mean you dream of those things and then one day in I was five months working well I was five months that I'd had Katie by then and I learned that I got laid off my job which was very very sad for me because I loved that job. I was laid off with 30 other people. Mm. And then a week later, Katie got sick and she was taken to a hospital and with pneumonia. And she was in intensive care. And they said they were going to run some tests on her. And did they mind if I ran a test for HIV? And I thought, wow, that's bizarre. And they said, well, you tested for that when you were pregnant. And I said, well, I assume that's one of the tests you get when you're pregnant. And they said, no. Did they ask you if you wanted to get tested? And I said, no, I just assumed it was one of the tests. And they ran the test and phoned me at home to say we've got some bad news. Mm. And I just was shaking because, of course, you go home and you think about that. You think, they're testing for this. Surely they don't think she's got this. Like, this is ridiculous. I haven't had sex with hardly anybody. I mean, I'd taken no drugs. I hadn't even had pot at that time. I was so naive. And so anyway, they ran a bunch of tests and they found out she had it. And they said, we need you and your husband to come in. And we went in and 
I decide. I thought in my head they must. Well, they said they had to retest her, and that would take a week. They thought there was a eighty percent chance she had it, but they needed to test my husband and I. So we went in, and I thought, you know, I bet you he doesn't have it because he's been giving blood. Mm. But I've had some things like diarrhea, and I had some lumps underneath my arm. I talked to my doctor about, and she thought it was nothing. And I thought, well, they must think she's got it because they're setting up all these these uh, meetings for us and they're giving me pamphlets on it. They must really think she's got it. And uh, eventually a week later, which was, I can tell you, the week from hell. Uh, a week later, we went. they called us in and they said, well, we've got good news and bad news. And I said, well, I know what that means. And they said, yes, Denise... Uh, Katie has AIDS. You have HIV because you're not in as bad situation as she is in. And your husband is not infected. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know, have you any idea where you could have got it? And I said, well, it could have only been in 1989. That had to be when it was. I mean, I've never had a blood transfusion, anything. That was how I found out. And then uh, they said, well, Katie should live about two years because she was infected in your womb. And Denise, you may live five years. And at the time she was infected, just to take you back to that time, the time I found that out was the when OJ Simpson was going down the freeway in his Bronco. That's that is that was being played on the TV in her room okay. when that was the the week that that happened. So after that, she seemed to get a bit better, but within by the time she was nine months old, she was in really poor condition. I knew she wouldn't make it to her first birthday. There was just nothing that they could do for her. Is no, that uh, they gave her the drug at the time, which was AZT. Mm -hmm. AZT and uh, AZT was so toxic at the time and really from the time she started taking it she got worse and worse mm. and because I had high blood pressure it made it a much greater chance of me passing it on to her through the placenta okay I have um, a question I don't mean to kind yeah. of okay so I, I know somebody who was born with HIV because they went through the vaginal canal and they have a twin brother who did not get it um, who went through the same vaginal canal and I was told that this is really how it happens is through the birthing process but you had a c-section so you were right. told that that Katie got it in the womb so there is yeah. there there is this possibility of transferring it through the womb I didn't know that yeah my understanding has always been that if it was transferred through the womb and it was because my placenta ruptured and much more blood went into her because I had high blood pressure. Oh, so my okay. blood transferred to her much easier through the placenta, but okay. uh, it can be through the birth canal. And they, and they thought that children who had it through the birth canal or through C-section, even through breastfeeding would likely live up to seven years at that point in time. But if you actually, if the baby actually got it in the womb, they die within two years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. It was a difference, big difference. And it made all the difference when it came to them because the, that was just before the medication came in. Why was there that difference? I think it was because I think 
possibly, I'm guessing because your stomach lining may have more of a protection for you because, you know, as you get older, your stomach protects you more and more. That's why you can't pass it on with saliva and everything because your stomach lining is so good. But when babies are young, they have much less of a protection with their stomach lining. And that I'm just guessing at that, to be honest. I think that's a very interesting question. I'd like to know more. But I know that the blood was direct through the placenta. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So she's nine months old. So then she was nine months old. She's getting worse and worse. And of course, when we found out, we had a really, really good doctor and a specialist center that was for women and children with HIV in were Vancouver. You in, sorry, were you in England? Oh, you were Vancouver. Okay. I was okay. in Vancouver. Yeah. So I should have said that. Yeah. So when we found out it, we were in Vancouver and there was a place called the Oak Tree Clinic. And the Oak Tree Clinic was part of women's hospital and it was specifically for women and children with HIV. So I really lucked out when, when I was in Vancouver and they had that specifically for women and children. Mm-hmm. And so the doctor there, the specialist there, his name was Jack Forbes. He was a really nice man. And he said to me, you know, Denise, you really want to be careful who you tell about this. He said, people will not react the way you think they'll react. And I was just shocked. I thought, what's he talking about? Like, not react? Like, like why wouldn't you be caring about somebody who's, who's just found this out? And I, then I started to think of the way I felt before, and I thought, wow, I remember how I was scared. Yeah, you know, of course, people are going to be scared of me. That was really, really sad. And because of that, I decided not even to tell my mother or father or any of my friends. Mm. And Mm -hmm. we told everybody that Katie had come through the pneumonia. Well, when Mm. she started to get sicker and sicker, we then had to come up with another excuse. And we said, well, because she's premature, she's got something called cytomegalovirus and that's part of pneumonia and she's not going to survive because we had to get my mum and dad ready for the fact that she's not, my mum wanted to go out and buy a, a chair for the car, you know, like a baby seat. And I thought she's never going to use that. Wow. So we, we eventually told them she was dying, but we didn't tell them what of. Yeah. I can't imagine that you even got to really process the fact that you had HIV because you're obviously most concerned about Katie at this time. I actually thought I was pretty lucky compared to her. I actually, if anything, there was a huge amount of guilt on my part thinking, why can't it be me instead of her? Why do I get to survive? Mm-hmm. Um, I had to really think about my faith and whether why would God allow this? What have I done? You know, what, why me, right? What, what have I done to deserve this? Mm-hmm. And then I actually found a very good book that I'd recommend to anybody called uh, why no, bad no. things happen to good people. And it's mm-hmm. by somebody called Rabbi Kushner mm-hmm. and it Kushner, sorry. And he, he explains it because his own son got a degenerative illness and he realized what he was telling people didn't make much sense so he he looked on it in another way it was good it was a very good book so So, anyway she started to get worse and worse and and then eventually she stopped eating and I can say 
the way she looked was like a child that you see starving in Africa. I oh. mean, she looked a bloated stomach. I mean, just, and we decided to let her die at home. Oh. And so the, you know, I remember very clearly her dying at home and we had nurses come in and we had people, you know, I mean, what, what can you say about it? It's, uh, it's a, one of the, it is the, her dying wasn't the worst thing I went through. Actually finding out that information was the worst thing I ever mm. went through. Because you had time her dying her. was almost a relief, mm. you know, because I couldn't stand to see her suffer. Oh. And then, of course, after that, I mean, it was such a shock at that time. I really didn't have time to absorb what was going on. And I was just trying to be strong. Yeah. And and so after that, I really fell into post-traumatic stress. I was I was diagnosed with it. Actually, I, I thought about suicide quite a few times. And even to the point where I was preparing what to do and and then uh, my doctor finally asked me have you ever thought about suicide I said of course I have mm-hmm. I'm gonna die a horrible death why wouldn't I think of suicide mm-hmm. and so then he got me to a psychiatrist who diagnosed with me with uh, chronic post-traumatic stress because of my nightmares I was having and things like that uh, yeah you started medication how soon after I had two years after finding out out. And it was just, you know, you I think they were delaying medication in those days. They want they were going to see they want to put you on medication once you got in a pretty bad way because they knew that this medication was pretty toxic. Mm-hmm. And it, really I people I know who've been on that medication for for a long time i mean just on the single therapy have not done well it it affected their bodies pretty pretty badly but but actually i was very fortunate in 1996 that the triple therapy came in mm-hmm. and then i could take that and it wow what a difference that made yeah undetectable so so you're diagnosed with post traumatic stress yeah. What, what were what kind of actions did he take after that? Or what did they recommend for you after that? Mm, well, I had to, for about a year, they suggested I get on to some medication for that, which was an antidepressant and anti-anxiety pills. Um, at first, I thought, well, this is I don't really want to be on medication because I felt that I could. Of course, I was going to feel like this because of what I'd been through. And I didn't want to be in a false state of happiness. But they ju- then they explained to me that eventually you're just going to you're going to be at a level where you can deal with things. It's going to bring you to a level where you can start being more coherent about what's going on and that. So when I when I did get on it, it made quite a bit of difference. It it did make me feel that I wasn't continuously miserable. It, it took me about six months to stop thinking about HIV all the time, every day. And my doctor warned me, he said, you're going to be thinking about it every single day, every minute of the day. And it was true. I couldn't believe it. For six months, that's nothing else I thought about. Um, after that, I, I, uh, I, I was really aware of what people were saying about people with HIV 
And the longer that went on, the more I thought, I have to speak out about this because people are not are not understanding. They could get anybody could get it. It's not like you have to be in a certain group of people or not. And eventually I saw a newspaper article where somebody wrote in and said, why should I give blood when it just goes to helping people with HIV? And I thought, oh, my God, like, wow. this is so unfair. Like, this is so ignorant. And so, uh, anyway, that's when I decided. Well, I, I was got in touch with by a reporter, and he was covering the 1996 World AIDS Conference, and that was being held in Vancouver. And there was... I was by that time I'd been linked up to a group of women who had HIV and we used to go to a retreat that type of thing and then finally one of the heads of that group said there's a there's a guy out where you live he's a reporter and he wants to do a story on somebody with HIV would you be willing to do it and actually he really wanted to do a story on women and of course I thought well, there's no way I can do that and then I thought about it and I thought you know what I have to do this. I just have to because it's just not right. So at the time, of course, there were there weren't like cell phones or anything. So I went down to a to a telephone box, telephone kiosk, oh. and I phoned him from there because I was so scared he'd see my home phone number. So oh I, I went to a telephone kiosk and I said, Okay, I'll do it, but these are the conditions. You don't take any pictures of the house. You don't take a picture of my husband had a, a son before he met me. So you don't take a picture of the son. You don't take, you know, anything that would indicate where I live. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, I'll I'll do it with you. So he followed me for about two or three months. Oh wow. And took photographs. And it came out in December of ninety six on the front page of the newspaper. It was about a three-page story. No pictures and, of you or yes? Yeah, pictures of me. And it's interesting because I would go down to the hospital, say, to get my blood taken at the time. And the person who was taking my blood said, I don't want my picture in in this picture. I don't want to be in this picture because they were scared people would would be afraid of them afterwards. And that was just the woman taking my blood. They oh, said, wow. I don't want to be associated with this. Uh, yeah, there's that um, association for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And my doctor's office, my GP would not allow me to have any pictures in his office because mm -hmm. he was scared he'd lose patients by them seeing me in that office. But it was, you know, it's interesting doing the story and trying to keep to all those guidelines. But it was good. And I thought, wow, we're going to, I live in quite a religious community outside of Vancouver. In fact, pretty much the most religious community. So I thought this is going to be interesting how the, the letters to the editor come in afterwards. And there was not one single letter came in about it saying how terrible it was. Or good, but neither way. And I was so shocked. I thought, wow, people are going to say something nasty. But nothing came in. I was very surprised. My friends found out through that article. Yeah, And then they did use your name in the article. Yeah. They so used my real name.
Yeah. And your friends obviously must have put together the connection then at that point about how Katie had passed away. Yeah. Yeah. They read the whole story. Then they, and it's quite interesting because after two years, I wasn't back at work. And I think a lot of them wondered why I wasn't going back to work. And then they read that. And uh, most of them, I'd say 99% of them were incredibly supportive. Really, really nice. There were a couple of people who phoned me and said, you do realize you've been around my child mm. or, you know, you, you've been for a manicure. What am I going to tell my customers? And I was like, what do you say? I mean, I said, well, you got to tell them what you think is best. Mm -hmm. I, I, it was just. And you knew, I, you knew that you were no threat, right? Did you understand that? Because there are still people that get HIV or contract HIV and they, they believe that they are a threat. They believe that they can still give it to somebody by sharing utensils that not everybody knows this even to this day. Well, the interesting thing was by then I'd been, I'd been with my husband six years, right? And I got to tell you, we never used a condom in six years. Now mm -hmm. I hadn't passed it on to him and he's the closest person to me. Then my doctor who's been taking pap smears, he hasn't got HIV. I go to a dentist, he hasn't got HIV. And when you start adding those things up, you start to think, well, you know, this just shows me for some reason I'm not passing this on. So I talked to my specialist about it, and he told me the percentage difference of a woman passing it on to a man compared to a, a, a man to a woman, a man to a man. And then he also said to me, you know, you, your CD, your, your blood counts are so good that, and then, of course, they brought in the viral load and, and looking at how much virus you have in your body. He said, with the amount of virus in your body, which was incredibly low, I mean, it was non-existent. Then he said, no, you, you've got more chance of walking down a street and a piano falling on your head than you have of passing this on. It's amazing that they knew this back in the 90s. They didn't yeah. have a name for it. They didn't call it U equals U. But there you go. You got the information back then. And you're, you know, I basically, I think it, the answer or the question is already answered because your husband had sex with you without a condom. So he clearly was not fearing contracting HIV from you. No, he didn't. He wasn't scared of it at all. And uh, so I was very, very fortunate in that the person who was the head of antiretroviral or medication research was my specialist. So he was working for the World Health Organization. He worked with the UN. And he was one of the first people to come up with the expression, you equals you. And he, he, di he directed me to a Swiss cohort study, which showed there'd already been a study that showed if you had an undetectable viral load and they couldn't find the virus in you, they had already realized it's, you can't pass it on. Right. And, and therefore, as soon as I saw that, I thought, oh, okay, this is, this is why, you know, my husband's not getting it. Mm -hmm. So it was just, well, I mean, it just told me a lot. Who was your specialist? Uh, Julio, Dr. Julio Montana. Right. And he said, uh, that name, if you were in Canada, 
you know his you'd know his name really well and actually he's just been put on a stamp in Canada because he's oh, wow. so famous yeah I you yeah. know I do know that name I've definitely heard mm-hmm. it you know what's funny I thought Bruce Richmond coined the term you you equals you so I guess he didn't he might have done yeah they, they were a lot of them together right they they were all working on it well I knew that when I went to Amsterdam and um Fauci was there and he spoke mm. and he said we've always known we've always known since the beginning that the lower the viral load it always decreased the chances of transmission and that goes for you know any type of sexual relation well you know between man and man or whatever so they just said that when the viral load was always lower it means less transmission so they always knew that but they couldn't confirm 100% that you know under a certain amount would equal zero transmissions and that's what all the studies were done for and they it proved it that under yeah. a certain amount that it is not there's no ability to transmit it at all well, I remember when the Swiss cohort study came out, there were quite a few people who were saying, oh, that's reckless bringing out that study. You know, you, you shouldn't be telling people that you should you should not be saying, oh, you can't pass it. They can't pass it on. And so, of course, then they did studies with thousands more people and it just brought it all to the same conclusion. I felt I actually felt pretty sorry for those people who did the Swiss cohort study because here they were with some incredible information and some other doctors were really being being very uh well they were they were running them down for like mm-hmm. that. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh this is the Swiss study. Okay you called it the Swiss yes. cohort study. Yes yeah. okay. Yes gotcha. the Swiss study. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's, that's, yeah. And it's still to this day, even though the science is there and the studies back it, there are doctors that still will not say you equals you. It is no. incredible. At the- I think it's because they're scared of getting sued. <laughs> that if, if somehow somebody did get it, which, you know, they, I just can't imagine how they would get it. Then they would, they're covered. Yeah. Right? There is that. And that's what, um, Eric and I have talked about before we think that's the only explanation because how can you ignore science it's right there yeah well a lot of people like to ignore science so you know when it's not convenient put it like that so you did the article and then how how did your journey continue with that you know well this is I thought this is a this is an amazing story because we all know what the stigma is of HIV and how people judge you and how ignorant they can be. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you a story that is just amazing to me anyway. Uh, when I found out about Katie, then we used to go and play baseball every night with some friends. And they were really nice people. And two of them lived in the basement of my house, this guy and his wife. And they decided to, when Katie came out of the hospital after we found that out and she came back home, of course, nobody knew what we just found out. And they decided to throw us a glad you're home Katie party. Mm. And it was very difficult because we had to smile and pretend we were happy. Mm. And we just found out this really awful news. Mm -hmm. They had a party for us. And then after Katie had died, the the guy who lived in the house, his father was really, really sick with cancer. And I thought, you know, it's so awful that I can't share with him that I know how it feels to be dying because I'm dying. So I, I know what this he's going through right now. 
Anyway, eventually they moved away. And oh, I should say his father did die of cancer. So they moved away over to Vancouver Island. And then the article came out in the newspaper. And I kind of dreaded what people would say to us about it. So one day, the girl who was downstairs phoned me and she said, oh, I had to call because my mother saw your article in the newspaper. And I thought, oh, here we go. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, there's something I got to tell you. My husband's father didn't actually die of cancer. He actually died of AIDS, but we were scared to tell you. So here we were in the same house. His father was dying of AIDS. And wow. here I was with HIV and we were scared to tell each other. Isn't the, that unbelievable? Well, what are the odds? Yeah. I mean, I at that point, I'd never been angry about this disease up until then. But mm -hmm. when I found that out, I was angry. I mm -hmm. was so upset that we couldn't share with each other and, and care about each other. And I, I realized that there's not just stigma, there's self-stigma. Mm -hmm. uh, we are stigmatizing ourselves because we're so scared to tell anybody. So true. And, and, and I, as I always say, and I understand why people don't talk about it, I do. But the more quiet everyone is, the more stigma wins, you know? Yeah, it does. The only way to stop it is to be able to talk about it. It can be dangerous for certain people to speak about it. So there's a reason why people don't say they have it. So I understand that completely. But yeah, the virus wins all the time, the more silent we are about it. And I think ignorance wins. You know, I, I think it's I think it's so sad because when you find those kind of things out, you want to have the best support possible. And when you don't have support, it can be incredibly depressing. Absolutely. And so how did what happened after that? So you went along and the TED talk oh, came on years later, but what did you do in yes. between? Oh well, in between, hmm, wow. Like any marriage it ran its course <laughs> no no um my husband and I were together 18 years mm -hmm. and he did not get HIV from me in all that time never used a condom in 18 years mm -hmm. so that just tells you how hard it is to pass on from a woman to man yep eventually there are a number of reasons that we broke up I think the biggest one was that, well, there were two main ones. My husband took a real downward turn afterwards and didn't get any counseling. And he turned to alcohol, which, mm -hmm. you know, and I thought, no, I've got to stay with him because he was there for me. So I stayed for a long time. But when it finally got to be abuse, and at one point he had his hands around my neck trying to strangle me, then I thought, you know what? I've worked pretty hard to stay alive with all this medication. And it's, it went from 27 pills a day and I'm on one pill a day now. My goodness. Then I think I've got to get out of this situation and get myself some respect, get some self-respect. Mm -hmm. So I decided to leave. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever done was leaving that relationship because you think that you've done something wrong. What have you done? Why is he feeling like this? And we even went to counseling a lot, but we just decided it was, 
well, I, I decided, I guess, that I, I was going to be dead pretty soon mm -hmm. if I stayed there. Mm -hmm. So I left. And actually, I really enjoyed being on my own. Um, I found that I got a lot of confidence over the years from speaking out. So mm -hmm. I, I found that I didn't really want to meet anybody. No, I, I, I did meet a few, few different guys. And I actually, I told them right away that I had HIV. And I've got to say that, funny enough, it was a fine experience. I mean, the stigma has changed a lot, but I told them in a way that was, I think, very respectful. I told them, you know, there's something I've got to tell you, and it's it's pretty big. Usually I wrote this to them. <laughs> so I think it's very important you have it in writing. Because if ever anybody says, no, he, she didn't tell me, then you want to have it in writing. So I put I put it in writing. I said, there's something really terrible I've got to tell you. And they'd say, you're a man. <laughs> I said, no, no, I'm not a man. <laughs> so I said, but, you know, <laughs> I thank you. Thank you for that compliment. <laughs> No, you're going to be really happy with what I have to tell you, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, no, this is what I have to tell you. I wrote I wrote it. I said, this is what I have to tell you. And here's some information where you can go and look it up, what I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. And I gave them a website. And I said, if I don't hear from you again, don't worry. I understand it's too difficult to deal with. Mm. but I hope that you'll at least come back to me and say you've read it and you'd rather not then okay I'm I'm fine with that if you don't want to carry on in the relationship or you don't want to get to know me that's fine mm -hmm. I, I don't I decided that hey you know I I understand some people are scared right or, or they have their theories but if they read and they still don't want to get to know me then maybe it's just as well we're not getting to know each other mm-hmm so that's what I did, and uh, I couldn't believe how many people were okay with it, would, would come back to me and say, no, actually, I'd really like to get to know you, you know, let's go for coffee, or let's go for coffee more, or let's go out for dinner and talk about it, or I just couldn't believe it. I was, I was really surprised. A win, yay. Some people didn't, some people, <laughs> some people, like, would run for the hills, but yeah. I thought, well, you know, we were never meant to be together. You know, yeah. like that's that's okay. I'm not a bad person because of it. It's just that's their feeling, and I allow them that. That's okay if they want, if they don't feel comfortable. You know, no big deal. I'm I'm not going to make myself feel bad about it. Right. And so eventually, I did meet someone, and it was at a wedding. <laughs> of our friends and it was a friend of mine his name was Reg and um, Reg was at the wedding and I said hey Reg uh, who, any good looking guys here tonight it's a wedding and he said actually my brother now I had known Reg for 20 years and did not know he had a brother hmm. so <laughs> So I said, you've got a brother? Oh, okay. Where's he sitting? And he said, actually, he's sitting at your table. Well, to make a long story short, at the end of the evening, at the end of the wedding, Henry said to me, I'd like to see you again. I said, ah, uh, I don't think so. It's me. It's not you. 
And he said, oh, the girls say that. I said, no, really, this would be me and not you. Uh, anyway, the next day I got a message on Facebook and said, uh, I'd like to get to know you more. I know you don't want to go out, but you just want to be friends. And I said, yes, but you have to know something because all of my friends know this. Mm. And he said, and he wrote back, he said, yeah, you've got HIV. And I said, how do you know that? He said, I Googled you. Oh, oh <laughs> so he, he Googled me. And after he Googled me, he Googled all about HIV. He read all about it. He said, I'm not scared. I still want to get to know you. Oh. I thought, wow, how times have changed. My God. So mm -hmm. uh, anyway, we got to know each other. And he said, I know, I know you're the woman who I'm going to marry. And I thought, wow, like, I don't know that about you. <laughs> so, <laughs> How presumptuous. Yes, exactly. So anyway, uh, we we met again and he took me for a walk and mm. we took some photographs and I thought, you know, I really like this guy. This guy is very kind. And what guy comes along and does research like that? Oh, I thought, yeah. I'll give him a try, but it took me a long time to be comfortable with it because I was actually really happy on my own. Mm -hmm. And then finally I thought, well, I just like this guy so much. And I said, look, I'm going to tell you that it's got to be marriage or nothing because I'm not waiting because I'll just go on my way. I, I, I'm okay on my own. And uh -huh. he said, no, I want to get married. So we got married. We went down to Vegas and got married. Nobody knew, but when we got back, they did. So, what year was that? Uh, that was seven years ago now. Okay. So, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I, I love yeah. that he told you he was going to marry you before you ever even really started hanging out. Like, I was really shocked. I mean, I thought, wow. Huh. Okay. Like, I thought, you know, I kind of, I, it was, you know, very flattering. It was really nice to think somebody wanted to marry me. My God. Mm -hmm. You know, mm. and it, and he said, "You always save the best till last." <laughs> and so, did. like, who would have guessed that? Like, I ended up being fifty-nine years old getting married. Can you believe? No, hang on, I'm not that old. Wait a second, it was seven years ago, so I'm sixty-one now. So fifty-four when I got married. Okay, gotcha. Oh, that's so nice. And it was just—it's special. It was just the two of you that knew. It really was like we didn't want a big wedding and we just wanted to make it, you know, just really quiet. And of course, I should say that years before that, you weren't, I wasn't, even, you weren't allowed into the United States. There was a, there was a ban on any travel into the United States by people with HIV. Right. And then that was finally changed. I believe uh, Bush and Obama both changed that. So uh, finally, people could go into the United States and, and visit. So it was nice to get married in Las Vegas. It was fun. I always wonder how they would have known, you know, that you'd even have HIV. Like, how would they have even checked that? They're not taking blood or asking for medical results. No. If you went down, I know. When I would talk to other people about it, they'd say they'd been stopped at the border and and their vehicle searched, and if they found medication in their vehicle, they'd they'd run it and see what it was, and then if it was HIV medication, they'd turn them back. Wow, 
And there are still parts of the world that are like that. Yeah, you know, it was difficult too, because for those people that were going down there, they they had medication that had to be kept in a fridge. So they would have to have the air conditioning going on full, going over the border, Mm -hmm. even if it was winter. (laughs) Oh, wow. So, yeah, that's what would happen. And uh, I actually had a talk with it, believe it or not, with uh, with Bill Clinton. So what? what happened was I was living up in Kelowna, which is about three hours from here. And we heard that Bill Clinton was coming into town to do a speech. And I thought, I have to talk to that man about this ban on the border because I thought, this is ridiculous. You know, because by that time, I was actually... Uh, heading up a group for children with HIV. I'd started and organized a society for children with HIV or who had it in their family. And many of these children wanted to go down to Disneyland. And of course, the parents had to make excuses why they couldn't go because they hadn't told the children that they had HIV Mm -hmm. or that the parents had HIV and they were going to get banned at the border. So uh, Bill Clinton was coming into town to do a talk and and it was going to cost $200 to go and see him. And I thought, well, there's no way I can afford 200 bucks to go and see him. So I, I thought, I'll just go down to the, the arena where he's talking. And if I stand outside, I'm sure somebody will be giving out tickets that they can't use. So I went down there and I stood outside for a while. And I looked over. <laughs> and here was a... a group of secret service cars like the black limos and they were all outside of a a building that was a store that sold aboriginal or indigenous uh, souvenirs so I thought I bet you he's in there well I went over and I went up to a secret service guy and I said you know is it okay to go in I'm getting something from my dad in England he said oh yeah yeah go ahead so (laughs) I walk into the store and I kid you not, he was the only person in there with his assistant. So I, yeah, so he went up to the, uh, (laughs) he went up to pay for something. And I said, you know, I'm sorry to bother you, but could I have a word with you? And he said, oh, yeah, you know, what's, how are you? And I said, I'm good. I I just have this story to tell you. So I told him what my story was. And I told him how we'd started this society. And I said, you know, it's really difficult for us to take kids down to Disneyland. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) so he put his arm around me. (laughs) And he said, you know, I was just talking to a lady in China about this same thing. And he said, uh, is it you've got a... A representative, Barbara Lee, is it, or who's down in California? I'm trying to think of the name of the lady who was down there. Really nice lady, black lady. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so he said, you know, I'm mentioning it to this lady. And he said, uh, hopefully we're going to get something done about that. So he had already left his presidential office by then. And by then Bush was in. So Mm -hmm. I thought, I went home after that. I couldn't believe it. I was jumping up and down. I could not believe I just talked to President Clinton. It was bizarre. Were you nervous? Not at all. (laughs) Because I always think, you know, compared to what I've been through, this is nothing. Right? This is nothing. 
right? I mean, when you, I put it on a scale of one to 10, when you've been through a, what I consider a nine, then meeting President Clinton is like a, a four, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I only say it's not a 10 because I think if you had your child abducted, that would be a 10. Mm. Yeah, so no, I, I mean, he's just a person like anybody else, you know? Mm-hmm. True. I mean, it's pretty incredible to meet the president, no matter who they are. I mean, heck, it would be fantastic to meet any president. But, but yeah, I I just had my message. I had to had to stay on message. So, and you must have felt like this moment was meant for a reason, because what are the odds that you're going to be able to just have this quiet moment and be able to speak to him? You know, so you took advantage of that time. You know, what was really strange about it was I knew it would happen before I even went down. I thought, I'm going to meet that guy. I don't know why. I was so sure I was going to meet him. I had no idea why I felt that. But I thought, there's no doubt in my mind I'm going to meet him and tell him this. Some kind of premonition. Yeah, I guess um, women's intuition. I don't know. Right. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about the TED talk that you hate so much. Because <laughs> I <loved laughs> Well, the only, the reason I don't like it is I think, you know, so now I do a lot of speaking, right? And, and when you, when you do a TED talk, you have to practice a lot. Mm-hmm. And eventually you get so that you practice so much, you don't feel like you're in a conversational situation. And mm-hmm. sometimes you lose the flow. Mm-hmm. I remember that TED Talk back to front. I knew exactly what I had to say. But I think sometimes it, it's you want to talk like I'm talking with you, like a conversation. You don't want to think, okay, I've got to say this now, and then I've got to say that. And I think the person who ex- explained it the best is Brene Brown, because mm-hmm. her TED Talk is such a great TED Talk. It's such It's just in flow. And she explained it that she knew what she was going to say, but she didn't exactly stick to those words. She mm-hmm. just made it like a conversation. Well, I don't feel my TED talk is like a conversation. So that's what I, I, I'm kind of, you You don't like seeing yourself on camera. There's all kinds of things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I always want to do better. I wanted to ask you if there's anything else you wanted to share about your journey or your story that you feel is important for anyone to know about HIV. Yeah, I think... I think a real turning point in my life was I finally realized that HIV is not who I am. Mm. And it took listening to Eckhart Tolle. I love Eckhart Tolle. And mm. I was listening to him in a in the car on a, a flash drive I had. So I was listening to that. And he said, you have to be careful not to become your illness. And I thought, wow, that's that means so much to me mm-hmm. because I I really feel after a while with speaking about it so much, I'd started to lose who I really was. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I'm not laughing like I used to. And this was in my previous marriage. So I was thinking, I'm not laughing like I used to. I've kind of lost who I am. And this is all I ever think about. And maybe I just need to take a break from it for a year. So I stopped speaking about it for a year. Mm-hmm. And it was very good for me. It started making me realize that 
there were things going on around me and it kind of brought me back into focus. I think mm. that sometimes you really, even with any illness, I mean, yeah, I should say that since then, of course, I had, I got bladder cancer right. and got through that, but it made me very aware that bladder cancer is not who I am. Breast cancer is not who you are. It's mm. something that's happened to you. It's all part of your journey in mm. this life. And True. sometimes it makes us stronger. Sometimes it takes us down. But I think, I think it really helps if we make sure that we don't make it our total focus. And it's really, really hard. I'm, I'm not an expert at that by any means. But I just feel that sometimes you need to get a bit of a break and, and start getting a distraction thinking about other things so I know Jennifer for you like I know you go uh, surfing right and you have roller rollerblading is it that you do skateboarding there you go skateboarding and that's so important because when you have focus on this totally you can forget who you are mm -hmm. right? it does I know HIV is um, in my day all day long because it's part of my advocacy so I speak about it through my social media I'm, you know, writing messages or answering questions. It's nonstop. So it's always there. But I, I mean, I know it's somebody asked me yesterday, they said, if you could become, uh, if you could, what was the question? If you could go back and have never had this happen to you, would you go back and be just HIV negative? And I actually said, no, I'm, I'm fine oh. with this. Like, this is part of my journey. And I'm, I've, you know, obviously completely accepted it. I don't think about it anymore. I think about the advocacy and I'm so thankful that I'm in this position and able to do it, but I don't think about it being in me. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. doesn't yeah. make up who I am at all. I but think it's because you're a caring person. Like then you, you care about the way people are treated with it. Mm -hmm. And and that's, that's a different part. That's a caring part of you. So you, you're not, well, I'm just assuming here that it's not making you so that you think, oh, wow, this is the worst thing ever and I, I'll never get over this. That's a whole different thing. That's when when you care about other people, I mean, I, I've got to say, I would not turn the clock back and not be HIV positive. And that is really saying a lot because it would mean that my daughter would have been uninfected. I was yeah. going to ask you that, Denise, and I took it off of my list of things to ask uh -huh. because I thought I thought that's an obvious answer and I did not know that you would answer it that way I'm totally yeah blown away. I from the person I was to the person I am now mm -hmm. it's a totally different person and I feel I'm much less narrow-minded mm. and I, I think I'm more accepting of other people and caring of other people and and I think I think beyond myself, how does this sound from the point of view of somebody hearing it? How does, how, how is it when you judge other people, how does it make them feel? And how does that hate between my, particularly right now in our society, when people hate each other, you know, I heard uh, Les Brown say the other day, he said, hatred blows out the lamplight of the mind. And I think that's so true. I mean, when we hate each other, I mean, it's it's just not it's not moving us forward at all. Mm -mm. So I I believe 
of course, I would love to have Katie back. Mm -hmm. And maybe if we put our brains into making cures and vaccines more, then maybe that, that would have happened. But no, the person I've become today, I feel is a much more caring and giving person of, about other people than, than I was before. Yeah, it's important, right? I mean, it's the legacy you leave, mm -hmm. how you'll be remembered. Absolutely. Wow, I really did delete that question. I, and it makes so much sense, but I didn't want to seem insensitive by asking that. So I'm really glad that you answered that without me having to ask. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because in 1996 or 97, I went to a conference in London in England, and it was a conference for children. And there was a speaker there. His name was Jonathan Mann. And he was very, very respected at the time as a kind of philosopher about HIV. He was to do with the UN AIDS and who he was. He was a fantastic speaker. And he gave a speech and somebody stood up and they, and they said, to be honest, if I had to be HIV negative or HIV positive, I would still be HIV positive because of how I've changed. And everybody in the room turned at him and nodded. They all felt the same way. Oh and I God. was shocked. And it I always remember that. And the sad, sad thing is that Jonathan Mann, Dr. Jonathan Mann, after that, I don't know if you remember the, maybe, I don't know if it was in your day, Jennifer, but the Swiss there, crash after that that happened off of Peggy's Cove in Canada. It was a Swiss air crash that took down a plane coming out of New York going to Switzerland. And mm -hmm. there were a lot of people for the UN on it. And Jonathan oh, Mann was on yes. that. Yes. And his wife. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I just met him before that. He was so nice, so caring. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I thought, wow, I mean, you know, you must know this too. There's a lot of people who died, but I thought I died before them. Mm -hmm. And who have died, but he was he was such a sweet man. Oh, yeah, I knew that name sounded familiar. I do remember I recall that there was a lot of important people on that plane and he was there on were. that plane. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I have heard that many times in advocacy, and I'm sure you do too, that people say they wouldn't change anything because it made them who they are today, and it made them stronger. I'm getting emotional when you just told me about yeah. everybody nodding. Ooh, that got to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing because I felt that way even then, like in 97, I just lost Katie three years before, but I could see the change, and you can recognize it in other people. You. When people have been through something major, like mm. they've been through nearly dying of cancer or something like that, you've got a bond with them. You've got a connection because they get it. Mm -hmm. They get it. You know, they mm -hmm. they know what it's like to oh, yeah. be Absolutely. close to death, right? Yeah. Even just the diagnosis itself is an instant bond with somebody because you know that they went through the exact same shock you went through. Like there's nobody that gets this diagnosis that just takes it like lightly and, oh, no big deal. I mean, everybody goes through the same shock. You know, you know what's just... kind of weird about it too, Jennifer? I don't know if you find this, but I found in the, like in the early days and when we used to go on retreats, so a whole bunch of women, there are about 40 of us who would go on a retreat. Then... I found not one of us would ask the other one how they got it. And mm. I still don't know how a lot of people got it. 
I, I have no idea. There's, I have lots of friends who I've met through uh, HIV societies and charities who have HIV. I have no idea how they got it. <laughs> and yeah, it's just something we don't ask each other. Mm -hmm. I know it's sort of the taboo question in the yeah. community. You're not really supposed to ask, but I know many people want to know. It's like everybody Oof. wants to know, how did it happen? Yeah, it's oh, yeah. very common to want to know, but it is considered like a taboo topic. Obviously, I'm comfortable speaking about it, but I know most people, you know, they they wouldn't share that. Or they they say it's none of their business, basically. Yeah, like I I remember how the 1996 conference in Vancouver opened. I was actually at the opening, and and there was a lady who was about my age now, and she said she, her name was Doreen Millman. She's passed away now. But she opened the conference and she said, you know, I know what you're thinking. How does a woman my age get HIV? And you know how? It doesn't matter, she mm. said. And it was so powerful. Everybody stood up and cheered because it was true. It didn't matter, right? I mean, I, I like to tell people because I think it's important for people to know that families are affected by it and how this did affect me and even now I mean I never went on to have more children and and even now people say so have you have you got any children and then you feel like man I can't say my child died because they're going to say oh what happened you know or mm -hmm. and then I've got to talk about HIV it's very very difficult you know that mm -hmm. you don't really want to bring it right up I I I mean I know we're running on, but there, just recently there was, I, w I was going to a hairdresser, a local hairdresser, and she didn't know I had HIV. I mean, to me, I judge now with, would I tell this person if I had breast cancer? Would I just come out and say, you know what, I've got breast cancer. So no, I decided not to tell the hairdresser. Mm -hmm. And so um, she, she started talking to me and said, you know, there's there's a lot more HIV out there than you think. And I thought, uh-oh, we're going to get to a topic here that's not a real good topic. Not very so she's, Yeah, and so she said, you know, people think that anybody can get it, but I know it's women who are street workers that get it. And, and, that. and I thought, oh, my God, like this woman is doing my hair right now. She has no idea I have HIV. Exactly. And that was just recently. And so then I decided, okay, well, I'm leaving. I'll just go back to her again. I didn't really want to, but I thought I'd give it another chance. And sure enough, within a couple of times, she's starting to talk about it again and how terrible these women are. And and I that was it. Then I thought, forget it. I'm not going back to her and I'm not going to tell her why. Because, I mean, I can go around educating as many people as as I can, but it's not like you can't see it on the news these days. It's not like you can't investigate it. Right. So I don't have to ev educate everybody I meet. Right. Yeah. Um, it, the the information's readily available. I might write to her one day and say, you know, you may wonder why I don't come see, but I I don't think so. I don't think I'll bother. I don't mm -hmm. know. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough one. It is. Yeah, it is. 
Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to do this. It, I, I appreciate it so much. And I and thank you so much for your advocacy and how much time and energy you've put into this over the years. It's You're making a huge difference, you know. Well, Jennifer, I write back at, at you. <laughs> we're that's, trying our best, sure. right? Because I, I feel like we're sisters, you know, <laughs> because once you once you recognize how hard somebody works to educate people it's really it really does make a difference it really does i've seen the people i i've known people who you've educated and it's yeah. made a huge difference in their lives yeah people write to me and say well you know i mean youtube's great. yeah it's amazing how many people it'll reach and they'll say i had never thought of testing i'm not scared anymore i tested because i know i'm going to live a normal life if i test positive i get that message it almost feels like on a daily basis and it's like it just blows my mind i like never knew that that would be the end result of this little video i decided to make four four and a half years ago had no idea that it would end up you know get, reaching so many people and having that kind of effect it's a I'm a very lucky person to be in this position really it, it makes you feel that it was worthwhile doesn't it so much oh god yeah. yeah yeah I didn't know what I was well I was doing it to try to find like another woman like you I mean that was why I put it out there and I I really just wanted to make a longer video to tell my high school friends on 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 face instagram i didn't use instagram then it was for facebook i just couldn't i didn't know how to put a longer video on there so i thought i'll make a youtube video and then then they'll understand the story and my family members who i don't see very often will understand the story and and then it just went from there and it was like wow this is like people are you know finding out about it and learning and of course yeah. i had i've had to deal with a lot of uh negative stuff along the way but and we all know about that and that's that's part of uh that's part of it you know comes with the territory well one time i was i was told i went to a spa with a friend of mine and they asked me if i was on any medication and like a fool i told them what medication i was on the name of it they said oh what is that and i told them and the next thing you know, the owner met me and said, I'm sorry, we can't give you a massage. Uh, and I said, why not? And they said, well, when we when we massage you, the sweat will come from you and infect our masseurs. And <laughs> I was just so shocked. So I shocked. remember that remember story. That? So, yes. What was that? Where was that again? That was, that was uh, north of Vancouver. It was at a spa resort, and believe it or not, that spa resort was in doctors' magazines and everything. So that's but, right. But then I, I was mortified, and I phoned my husband and I said, "I'm just so upset about this." Like I'm, I was in tears. I was like shocked, mm -hmm. and he said, "You know what? For every person that you say well, that say great for you for coming out and doing this, you're going to get one." Mm -hmm. who makes you feel bad For and sure. I thought you know what that's true right like get over it like <laughs> there are some people who make you feel bad but the majority of people have been really nice to me yeah and I think you got the same reaction I did that probably helped us move forward is everybody you had a lot of support in the beginning and so did I I was like if it yeah. wasn't for that I probably wouldn't have continued but I had that I, initial support and that was really important I think it makes a huge difference and even now I I I words hurt, right? Words can hurt. 
and people need to choose their words carefully and think about things when when somebody shares something like that with you it's major for them and they are so scared how you're going to take it so if you can't say anything nice <laughs> don't say anything at all right and they don't know what their life's journey is going to be they don't know what they're going to be facing someday and what they might be up against and how they don't exactly. want to be it's yeah. i always feel that way you can't you can't throw what is it throw stones at glass houses i mean you just don't know what situation you're going to exactly. find yourself in yeah well, I just want to thank you so much again. And, um, you know, hopefully someday we'll get to meet in person when all this COVID stuff goes away. I hope so. You know, I I'm, I think that there'll be conferences in future. There'll be, mm -hmm. I, I'm sure I'll come down to California at some point or you'll come up to Canada and we'll, we'll meet each other. Yes, for sure. For sure. With our well, partners, know. that'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> Well, you know how to find me for sure. And I know how to I find do. you. So yeah. well, thank you for this, Jennifer. It's really nice of you to do this. Oh, You're a good person. You're oh, a great thank person. you. I'm yeah. so glad to have you on. And I, again, I just feel like your story is really important. And I'm so glad that it's on here and people get to refer to it whenever they want to. Good. Okay, Denise, you have a good evening. You too. Stay dry. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Okay, bye. Talk to you later. Bye. bye. Another big thank you to Denise for taking the time to share her story today. I know with each story told, it helps others who are dealing with the virus or have fears of the virus or those who are simply uneducated about HIV. So for each story told, I'd like to think that stigma is taking a backseat and letting love, normalcy, and good health prevail. If you'd like to be notified of any of my upcoming podcasts, please be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to help this girl out, then please rate, review, and share my show. Today's show was brought to you by Benny, Olive, Sky, Toby, Finn, Basil, and Baby Kitty, and Sawyer. If you're out there, please come home. If something's happened to you, Sawyer, we love you so much. Rest in peace. Thanks, guys.